Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. I want to encourage you, if you have your book, Family of God, if you will notice on the Roman numeral 7, which is in the introduction before the numbers actually start, 1, 2, 3, and etc. But the Roman numeral 7, you'll see that at the bottom of that page begins a listing of 100 key scriptures. I want to challenge you, for the next 100 days, read one of those key scriptures each day, and then try to memorize what the brief summary at the end is, and then where that is found. And if we'll do one of those a day, uh, after this quarter is finished, we'll only like maybe, uh, maybe 10, 12 more. And uh, hopefully what we'll do, if you'll begin that today, reading for the first day, Matthew the 16th chapter, and hopefully by next week, uh, maybe we can even have a bookmarker or something that everybody can take and keep in their Bible so that uh, you'll have that with you at all times. It'll be easier to keep up with. And uh, maybe throughout this next quarter, occasionally on Sunday night, we can do some lessons that will tie into what you've studied earlier this week. Now, some of the passages are very short. Some are only a verse or two or four or five verses long. So I'm not suggesting to you that ought to be the only thing you study in a particular day. But it would be a great thing to cover so that together, as we're studying on Sunday morning in Bible class and in worship, we're thinking about the church That would be a wonderful thing each day to look at some key passages about the church and put them to memory. Where are they found and what is taught in that passage? Wouldn't it be great if at the end of this you'd be able to have a hundred passages in your memory, even if the passage itself is not memorized, you'd be able to say, I know that's taught in the Bible and I know the book, chapter and verse in which it's taught. Maybe it's something you want to do together even as a family. But that's something I hope you'll participate in and And maybe even next Sunday night, we can begin looking at some of the first seven uh, that you will have looked at already. Also, let's keep in our prayers the team that is in Ukraine. Uh, They have arrived safely and things are uh, settling in for them as they're moving into the apartments that they'll live in for a couple of weeks. And let's continue to pray for their great success. Also, I want to remind you again that there is a church meeting next door in the chapel on Sunday morning. So please be sure and... And avoid the chapel area and the senior citizen parking uh, on Sunday mornings. And just know that on the other side of the chapel is what we call the 2040 building. And all of those 70-something spots are ours. So feel free to park on the other side if you need to. Or if that is good for you, that would be best for us. Also, keep in mind that September the 17th will be the contribution uh, that where we will hopefully collect enough money on that date to burn the note for this edition that took place in 1997. Uh, God has blessed us richly with this edition, and hopefully we are using it for God's glory. And uh, be looking and considering what you can do on September the 17th to give extra. What is it that you can do uh, so that together uh, we can sacrifice for God's good and uh, we can continue to move forward over the next 115 years Uh, All for God's glory. Tonight, we've had a powerful petition offered to God through song. Uh, Carrie has so capably led us in the song, Lead Me to Some Soul Today. 
I want you to think about a few lines out of this song with me, and then we're really going to go back and spend most of our time on the very first word this evening. But think with me again, as we sung, as we sung these words, Lead me to some soul today. Teach me, Lord, just what to say. Then it becomes very personal. Friends of mine are lost in sin. And then it becomes a part of an obligation upon us that are Christians. Friends of mine are lost in sin and cannot find their way. Now, do you think this song was written for people out in the world to sing? Or do you think this song was written for Christians to sing? And if it is a song written for Christians to sing, does it make you a little bit angry that whoever wrote this song was bold enough to write the next lines in this song? Or is it really a challenge that you and I as Christians and as a church body has? In other words, listen to this. Whoever wrote this song was bold enough at this point to say, Few there are who seem to care, and few there are who pray. And the bass even echoes there, as if it's being emphasized. Few there are who pray. Friends, would that describe your life tonight? How many times over the last few weeks have you prayed for an individual by name that you want to see that soul brought to the Lord? Or would you have to say, you know, I guess whoever authored that song is correct. I haven't cared lately. I haven't prayed lately. I've not tried to reach out lately. Maybe the next few lines of the song convicts us all and hopefully at least describes us all. As the next line says, Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today. I hope that all of us are willing to melt away whatever it is in our heart that would lead us to believe that a soul is not worthy of our care, that a soul is not worthy of our prayers, and that we truly would be individuals that can honestly say, Lord, just give me one soul today. Lead me to someone today where I can make a difference. Do you believe in the providence of God? If you didn't, you would have no reason to sing that song because that song is praying, asking for God's providence in our life. Lead me to some soul today. In other words, the idea of providence in this sense is a song requesting God to allow us to be partners with Him. Lord, lead me to some soul today. Do you believe that there are individuals in the Mount Juliet community that are lost? Do you believe that any individuals in the Mount Juliet community that are lost have begun in the last few days, the last few weeks, because of something that's happened in their life, because of them remembering something about their history, because of them watching a neighbor or seeing something that has, has placed some kind of thought in their mind where for the first time in a long time they're thinking... I want to change my life. I want to find God. I want to learn more about the Scriptures. I want to find a good church, a place where I can belong, a place where I can serve, a place where I can worship. Do you think there's anybody out of the almost 20,000 people in this mailing address here, you think there's anyone that would fall under that category? And if so, do you think God would allow their paths to cross our paths? Or do you really believe God would never lead you in that way? 
You remember the beatitude? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, Matthew 5 and verse 6. Do we believe that? Of course we do. But now wait a minute. Many times when we believe that, we think about ourselves. Oh, if I'm going to hunger and thirst after righteousness of God, God will fill me. What about the person that's our neighbor that's never gone to church ever in their life? But now, for whatever reason, they wake up this morning and they say, I'm hungry to learn the will of God. I'm hungry to be fed spiritually. Do you believe that if that person is truly hungering and thirsting after righteousness, do you believe that God will allow them to be filled? I believe what that, that is what that verse is speaking of. I believe absolutely God would create opportunities for that person's path here in Mount Juliet to cross with one of our paths. And so you see, as we sing the song, Lead Me to Some Soul Today, it's wonderful when we can take mission trips to Ukraine or El Salvador. We can have missionaries in Greece or wherever it may be around the world. But friends, what about the souls that are right here in our workplaces, and in our schools, and in our neighborhoods, and maybe even sharing a pew with us at this very moment. Do we believe that God would lead us and have our paths cross? Steve Gibbons was a part of a church in Houston, Texas. It was back in the 90s. And this particular congregation invited many guest speakers in over a short period of time with an emphasis on evangelism. During this time, he was convicted of the fact that he ought to care for souls and that surely he could have some kind of impact in the life of souls. And so he began praying every day, Lord, lead me to some soul today. Throughout the day, he'd oftentimes sing the song, Lord, Lead me to some soul today as he's going about his business. On a particular evening, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, he had just been promoted to the sergeant of the police department. He was sitting at a, at a traffic light on patrol, and he looked over to see a car pull up beside him at the traffic light, and the lady was weeping. Of course, he noticed it. He thought it strange, and light turned green, and he went on. He was supposed to meet several of his men at a cafe. They were going to have a meeting there. They were going to do some of the reports and paperwork, and then they would dismiss to go back out on the streets again. As he pulled into the cafe and was getting out of the car, he noticed that this same lady also pulled up to that same cafe, still crying. He held the door for her as she entered, and she went to the right and sat to the far side of the right, and he and his men went to the left and sat to the far side of the left. He watched her on and off during that, that time she continued to cry. They finished their reports, they finished their meetings, and he and his men went back out into the streets. In just a short while, he received a call. As he was going to the scene, it was described as a DOA, dead on arrival. He saw a single car accident into a telephone pole. As he walked to the scene, he noticed that there were no skid marks. The officer met him, saying, Sarge, you're not going to believe this one. You remember the lady that we saw crying at the diner? It's her, Sarge. And it looks like a suicide to me. He walked up to the car and through the bloody mess, he did recognize her to be that same individual. He turned around in a real professional voice and he said to the officer, he said, listen, 
You just write up the report and you leave it up to the medical examiner to figure out whether or not it's an accident or suicide. He walked back to his car. He got in. Because he describes later by saying, I didn't want to admit it to anyone, and especially to myself, that that lady may have committed suicide. Because it wasn't until then that I realized I'd been praying and I'd been singing and I'd been saying in the depths of my heart, Lord, lead me to a soul. And now it seems pretty obvious. He brought her beside me at a red light. He allowed me to sit in the diner with her for hours. And why didn't I see it? Friends, I love foreign mission work. I think all of us that can ought to be involved in it. But if we don't have eyes open at home to lead us to the souls that the Lord allows to pass through our lives and before our eyes, we're missing being partners with God. Tonight, I want you to look with me as we scan some beautiful stories in Acts. And as you're turning to Acts, the second chapter, I'd like for you to remember that when we want to study the conversions of the New Testament, Acts is a natural place to go because it's there that we see details about the conversions that took place in Acts. But there's also something powerful. And that is, with every conversion that takes place in Acts, God used partners in order to accomplish this. In other words, even when there was miracles involved in the conversion, God never did it alone. In other words, it's almost as if God could not put it in more bold lights, if it couldn't be highlighted any brighter, if it couldn't be underlined any more times. It's as if God is saying, I want to show you these conversions, and I want to show you how I work through the lives of people that have open eyes. I work through the lives of people that are willing to be partners with me whenever I work through providence. I work through people that are willing servants of mine. For example, you probably are familiar with Acts the second chapter. You know the great chapter, how in 37 they were pricked in their heart and they asked, what shall we do to be saved? And they were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And notice verse 41, those that gladly received the word were baptized and the Lord added them to the church. Now we read that and we say, isn't that wonderful? Because we can drop back in verse 14 and we see where Peter standing up with the 11 raised his voice and preached. And we say, see, God used someone else. Do you think though that it was just kind of one of those coincidental things that this crowd just happened to be there and the 12 apostles just happened to be there? No. No. The crowd gathered because it was the day of Pentecost back in verse 1. And do you remember that after the Lord's resurrection and then His ascension, do you remember back in the first chapter what God told those apostles? How He told them to wait and to stay there in Jerusalem? And notice what they were waiting for. Look in verse 8. And this is the first chapter. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
Jesus tells them before he ascends, he says, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem and you're going to know when it's time because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And we read the first few verses of Acts, the second chapter, and the Holy Spirit is poured upon them. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it's poured upon them and they begin to speak in tongues. And it's then that they stand for this powerful lesson. Now, there's a lot of lessons we can learn from this. But for tonight, what's the point? The point is this was not a coincidence. Jesus, God, worked through providence to say the day of Pentecost is coming where thousands of Jews will be here. Apostles, I urge you to wait. And when that miraculous power of the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be the right timing. I'm going to have you there at the right place. I'm going to have you ready to do the right thing. Look over to Acts the 8th chapter. In Acts the 8th chapter, you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch being converted. And you know, sometimes we read these stories so many times, we just simply overlook some of the details that are so profound. But do you remember that part in verse 26, Acts 8 and 26? Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. And so he gets up and he does what God says to do. Now imagine that. God says, hey, I'm giving you an opportunity here to serve me. He gets up and he takes advantage of the opportunity. Okay, he gets down to the road. You can almost imagine him just standing, looking down the road. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? And then he is told in 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Oh, there, that chariot. And he runs and he catches up with the chariot and he sees the man reading from Isaiah and he asks him if he understands what he reads. He says, how can I let someone show me? And you know the end of the story. He preaches to him, Jesus, and he goes down to the water and he baptizes him. Friends, how did that take place? Philip was willing to be a partner with God. God set up the appointment. He was just looking for someone that would be a partner with him. God knew this man was going to travel that road. But who would go? You remember Acts the ninth chapter? You remember Saul's conversion? You remember the bright light? But you see, he wasn't told everything that he needed to do to be saved. Instead, he was told that he needed to go to Damascus and wait, and it would be told him what he must do. And then look at verse 11 of Acts the ninth chapter. This is what the Lord says to Ananias. Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. And you remember Ananias is a little bit reluctant here. Lord, I've heard many, uh, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord tells him, go ahead and go. God had set up the opportunity. Now he was looking for a partner that would finish the task. Do you remember the very next chapter? Do you remember Acts the 10th chapter? Do you remember reading about Cornelius? Well, who is going to go to the Gentile when it's the Jews that have the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jews grew up hating Gentiles? Do you remember the vision that had to be sent about the unclean animals? And when you look in verse 9, that vision is sent and then that closes out in verse 16 that Peter saw this vision and it says this was done three times and the object was taken up from heaven again. 
In other words, God had to make sure on this one. Peter, I want to show you this vision. Peter, I'm going to show you this vision again. Peter, I'm going to show you this vision again. And it works because when Peter is requested to go to Cornelius, to a Gentile, he goes into his home, which a Jew would have never done. And then he preached to him the gospel of Jesus Christ to become a part of the same religion that the Jew was a part of, which a Jew would have never done otherwise. But what's the point? The point is God set up this occasion. God knew Cornelius as he heard his prayers that he wanted. He was hungering and thirsting after righteousness. God heard his prayers and he set up an appointment. He just had to find a willing partner. Do you remember over in Acts the 16th chapter? In Acts the 16th chapter we read of an interesting time where the apostle, he had something else in mind as he was traveling along with Luke and Timothy. Do you see there in verse 7 of Acts the 16th chapter after they come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. Now we've been talking about the Lord giving open doors. This is interesting. The Lord actually closed the door here. Why do you think the Lord would close doors that sometime we try to pass through? Well, I just knew that I thought that person at work would really be interested in Christ, but they're not. That's odd. I, I thought that would be an open door. It may be that sometimes when we see closed doors, if we'll just look around, the Lord may be opening another door at that very time or shortly after. That's what took place here as he traveled down to Troas, and we see in verse 9... A vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so they go there. And you remember, this is when Lydia and her household is converted. And then it's also where the Philippian jailer and his household are converted. Do you see that every conversion that took place in Acts, someone was required to become a partner with God. Preacher, are you saying that it's impossible if someone finds a Bible on a deserted island that there's no way that they can read the Bible and learn the truth? I'm going to speak after reading the book of Acts. It's not probable. It may be possible, but it's not probable. There's not one example in the Scriptures where someone was brought to the Lord without someone else being involved in their life. I just wish my, my friend were a Christian. Your friend's probably not going to be a Christian if you don't get involved in that conversation. Well, I'm just not someone that can study. You get your friend to someone that can help them study. There's several of us here that would love to have that opportunity. But the bottom line is... People don't come to the Lord as a rule of thumb without someone else being involved in their lives. No wonder, no wonder the song strikes such a chord of truth. Lead me to some soul today. I'd like for us to close this by looking at Colossians, the fourth chapter, if you will. Colossians, the fourth chapter. This passage is where Paul offers a prayer. And we consider how great the man Paul is. This is a very humbling passage, and it also is, 
is very instructive for you and I to think about as we think about what's our role and how should we be involved and how can we help God as God helps us. In Colossians, the fourth chapter, in verse 2, it's no surprise that Paul speaks about the importance of prayer to these people. And so in Colossians 4 and 2, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Now, that's no surprise, is it? For the great apostle Paul saying, look, I want you to be vigilant in prayer. And I want you to continue in it. Be earnest in it. But I want to remind you before we even read the next few verses. When I think about the great things Paul did in his life, and I think about passages like we're about to read, His humility is a powerful lesson for all of us. This is a man that was a great apostle, inspired by God. This was a man that already, at the writing of this, he had already written seven, at least, of the 13 New Testament epistles. This was a man that could open a map because he'd already gone on many of his missionary journeys and he could show the congregations that he helped establish and the Christians that he brought to the Lord. This is a man that had already done more probably for the cause of Jesus Christ than any other man on earth except for Jesus Christ himself. I tell you, it humbles me so much to read about a man that was so great And listen to this humility. Verse 3. In other words, while he's telling them, pray, then he slides in a prayer request of his own. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Paul, you mean to tell me that you're so concerned about the opportunity to reach someone else? And you think of all the successes they had. You think how easy it would have been for him to have an attitude that said, Oh, well, if anybody needs to know about missionary trips, nobody knows more than me about missionary trips. Anybody here need to know about uh, evangelism? There's no one that knows more about evangelism than I know. I have probably had to do with more people's salvation than anybody's alive today. We don't read that, do we? What do we read? Hey, while you're praying, I have a prayer request if you wouldn't mind praying it. Will you pray that God will open up doors for us that we can preach the Word? And then the thing that's so startling in verse 4, I just want to preach the Word and speak it as I ought. Oh, wait a minute. Are you concerned that you might not say it the right way? You know, if Paul wants prayers to make sure that the opportunities, those doors are opened, and then that he passes through them saying the right things, it's probably a good lesson for me. And then, why does he want to redeem the time? Why does he want to take advantage of opportunities? In verse 5, he prefaces that redeeming the time by saying he wants to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. In other words, Paul knows that opportunities come, the doors are open, and opportunities pass, and the door is shut. 
And he says, I know that when it comes to reaching those who are on the outside, talking about those who are on the outside of the church, talking about those that are lost, he says, I just want to make sure that with wisdom, I take advantage, I redeem the time, I take advantage of those opportunities. None of us are perfect. I shudder to think of how many people God has passed before my eyes and before your eyes where God was literally saying with an open door, this is the perfect time. Just invite them to Bible class. This is the perfect time. Let them know that you care for their soul. This is the perfect time. Let them know that you've been praying for them for several months by name. And I wonder how many times we've not redeemed that time. Tonight, I want to encourage all of us. Put a note somewhere where we'll see it often with some names of people that we want to see those individuals brought to the Lord. And begin praying for those individuals daily. And then every day, look to see if God is opening a door that you can say more, that you can encourage in some way. I know that we're not all teachers. But friends, we all can be concerned for the souls of others. Let's let it be more than words out of our lip or a tune and a song. Let's truly be able to pillow our head tonight and pray fervently. Lead me to some soul. If you're not a child of God, God loves you. And He wants you to come home. He wants you to step out of the world and into His Son. He wants you to be saved. If you've never been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, won't you do that tonight as a believer willing to repent of sins and confess? If you have been baptized into Christ and you've lost focus, I hope all of us tonight will focus on the worth of souls, but not only other people's souls, but focus on the worth of our own soul. If we gain the whole world and lose our own soul, what have we really gained? What could we give in exchange for a soul? Friends, it doesn't matter what accomplishments or possessions I pile up on this earth. I've lost my soul. If I've not shown concern and love for other people's souls, I've missed everything that matters. Let's leave here tonight being able to say, I've put first things first. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.